0: Hi, I'm Natalie, and welcome to Infinitely Irrational, where I discuss the real, eccentric, and complex history of math. In each episode, I unearth the wild stories behind some famous, or not-so-famous, mathematicians. Today, we'll talk about Archimedes, and this episode will answer the following questions. What do solving a crime and streaking have in common? How can doodling in the sand lead to murder? What do either of these have to do with math? Let's find out. I am so excited today to have a special guest. Her name is Joanna Georgiou, and she is a math educator and an author uh, from the UK. Outside of school, she holds all kinds of workshops and master classes, and she does just so many amazing things all related to the the world and the history of math. And so, let's take a second, maybe a second, to introduce herself, and then we are
1: gonna dive into Archimedes today. So, hi, Joanna. It's great to have you. Hi, Natalie. Thank you so much for having me. I'm such a huge fan of your podcast. I've had so much fun listening to the Thank stories you. and, you know, shared the laughter and and, and the tears sometimes <laughs> from these stories. So super excited to be here with you. As you can hear from my accent, I'm not originally from the UK, but I've been living here for the past uh, good uh, 12 years or so. Originally, I'm from Cyprus and um, yeah, I'm a, I'm a math nerd myself as well, I suppose. <laughs> I love the uh, history of maths and all that it can do for us in the uh, classroom and outside.
0: Awesome. Awesome. So one of the things like you and I had a chat just a second ago um, offline about what sort of drew me to math. What are some of the things that excite you about math?
1: So interestingly, so I could I could pretty much do math like at school from quite young, but but it never got really exciting until I have to say, kind of like came naturally and then I thought, okay, let's see, should I carry on doing maths at school? Then I carried on doing the advanced side of maths until I finished school. And then the system—it's—it's it's a bit strange how you get to university through the educational system in Cyprus. And you kind of like—it's it's a, it's a hidden means. You put a list, you put the subjects, and and kind of like depending on your grades, you go to whichever you you are the cutoff kind point of. Oh, that's cool. So, Maybe it's a bit like like dice. Like let's just throw the dice and see what <laughs> it is. So I I went to study maths. Of course, maths was high up in my choices. Mm-hmm. Uh, you you still do that list yourself, and you still uh, have some uh, input in that in that decision. It's not completely made for you, but. Um, I was just like, okay, I like maths, but, but I wasn't so thrilled about maths. I was just kind of like, yeah, it, it's interesting. I love it. It's kind of like a bit of physics, a bit of chemistry, you know, all of those things together. But then as, as I, you know, started studying maths at the Union or that and started coming across the history of maths, that's when it all started really clicking. I have to say, uh, I had a, a book that I came across like a novel. The Parrot's Theorem by French author Denis Getch. I don't know if you've ever come across it. No,
0: tell me what the title is again.
1: The Parrot's Theorem. Writing this down. It's a novel like any other. It starts with a fire in the Amazon and uh, a house in the Amazon, and the person who owned that house died in that fire. And we find out that that person was a mathematician who had shipped his entire library of maths books, some very rare old maths books, some more recent ones, to his friend in Paris. But we don't know if the fire was an accident, was a a murder or a suicide, we've no idea why that happened and how if connected to the shipment of, of that huge collection of books. So his friend in Paris starts researching through those books, reading through those books to figure out, did it have anything to do with the death of his dear friend? oh that's cool and uh oh it's mind-blowing through through that that part the author essentially takes us on a on a journey when Maine stops in maths and that's when oh everything my gosh. started falling into place and I'm like oh that's why we do this and that's where this comes from and that's I think my love for the history of math started and uh, then I started thinking well if this is so helpful for me that I've mm-hmm. loved maths pretty much all my life maybe it will help uh, younger people who do not feel that connection. They they don't get it. They kind of like, why do we do this kind of questions all the time? And yeah, I suppose then it, it took off from there. I did a bit more research into that. I did my MPhil on teaching mathematics through history and culture, looked into like curriculum Reapproached approached through these stories and so on. And as you know, the rest that you said are my masterclasses and then the books that came up. That's awesome. So
0: tell us about your books. You've got two books, right? And I, by the way, I just, I'm looking at the artwork on them. Not only are they just super fun to read, but the artwork is so cute.
1: <laughs> I absolutely agree with you. The books, the first one was published in 2020. Uh, Mathematical Adventures, and it's more for younger students, like 10 plus or so, and the second one, Peculiar Deaths of Famous Mathematicians, more for teenagers, like 14 plus. And uh, yeah, the artwork is by Asuka Young. I presented her with my project, with my idea, when the first book was kind of like half, a bit more half written, and we didn't have a publisher then, we didn't have anything. And she said, yes, let's do this. And then we started going back and forth. And and when I started looking at those illustrations, I'm like, oh, my God, this brings the book to life. I could not have imagined those things better. I don't know if you come across them, even the Euclid's uh, postulates. It's like I could not have envisioned them any more fun, any more like explanatory. That's so cool. (laughs) <laughs> yeah thank you i i praise her all the time i absolutely love her approach so fun lively and and then we're lucky because our publisher is a math specialist publisher as well in the uk so nice to go on our projects yeah so how can folks find your books or find you so the easiest way to find the books i think it's on online retailers um you can go on any of the big ones uh, Amazon definitely stalks them and I think other online le- retailers on, in the US uh, stock them as well. I so recently started to put some uh, more um, content online. I had my book launch back in October so I have some videos from the book launch where I explain the rationale of the book and I tell some stories from the book as well and their website is uh, my name, com, and um I have some stuff going on on like Instagram and so on. And I generally try and use my phonetic way of saying my name. So it's Y-O-A-Y-E-O-Y-E-O and then .math for um, Instagram. And generally the Y-O-A-Y-E-O is uh, pretty much the handle that I use for different um, uh, platforms.
0: Okay, perfect. So I'll go ahead and drop all of those links down in the description so that folks can access it. So... Thank you. Let's go ahead and chat about Archimedes. So listeners, I need to let you know, I am a huge fan of the, I think, I don't know what decade it was, but several decades ago, Disney came out with The Sword and the Stone. And it was a cartoon with Wart. And it's all about, of course, like the legend of Arthur. And so there's like Merlin and, and he's got this pet named, you guessed it, Archimedes. So if you haven't seen it, it's low key, one of my favorite renditions of Archimedes, even though it's come, it's just a salty owl. So let's, let's chat a little about, about Archimedes. So um, do you want to start us off with sort of where he's from and, and some of the cool stuff?
1: Sure. Oh, great. So Archimedes, a mathematician that also features in the in the second book, the, the known world, let's just say the world around the Mediterranean,
0: uh-huh.
1: was kind of like an extended Greek with different city, kind of like kingdoms. And he was from Syracuse, which is where uh, Sicily is, uh, is in modern day Sicily. He lived around the third century BC. And he was exceptionally prolific. He was a mathematician, a physicist, an engineer, an inventor, an astronomer. So he was really well informed, uh, really investigative. And his understanding of uh, mechanics was quite so sharp that he was comfortable boasting that given a long enough lever and in a suitable place to stand, he could move the earth. I love um, this.
0: I love that like he's not taking into account, he's going to go stand in space, not take into account gravity, but he's like, I'm going to move the earth. That's amazing.
1: <laughs> it is to, to get to that point at that time of scientific understanding to think that that's something that you can move. <laughs> right, I think right. Quite uh, very impressive. Apparently, if the lever was some uh, thousands or millions of uh, light years long, uh, it's possible. It Uh, is possible, uh, yeah. yeah. (laughs) Mm.
0: And there's a lot that you know that we'll talk about in a second. But that if folks later on had had his knowledge, they would have been able to advance calculus a lot faster. So perhaps you know Leibniz and Newton wouldn't have had their famous fight if only Archimedes had if his work was available, but the other thing I wanted to chat about, too, was the there's this Archimedean screw pump. This allows water or grain, things like that, to sort of be to travel from, you know, lower to higher places. What's really interesting, my husband, he has sort of that same type of mind, you know, uh, listeners and other in other episodes, you may have heard that we both decided we were going to try and figure out how many rocks we need for something in our backyard. And I did like math formulas and he did something completely different, but we came up with the same answer. And so he kind of sort of thinks that sort of way. But this morning, I showed him a GIF of the uh, our comedian Screw, just like it working. And he, I was like, "Do you know what this is for?" And he's like, "Well, I think that would move water or grains from a lower place to a higher place." I was like, "You are hilarious!" So just without any context, without any knowledge at all, he was able to already figure out what this is. And so um, it's still very much in use today. Uh, there are a couple other things that he invented as well, or that he sort of envisioned. Um, that I thought were really cool. If you want to let us know, you know, your favorites of that.
1: Sure. So we all, we're all familiar, I think, with the Chinese tangrams that you can have some pieces of colored paper and rearrange them in all sorts of different ways. He had something very similar back then that he called ostomachion, which is a unfortunate name because it sounds <laughs> like stomach, but has nothing to do with the stomach. Yeah. It has to do with ostor, which means bone, Uh, in Greek, and mahi, which means battle. So it was kind of like a battle with bones. Back then, this puzzle was made with ivory. Back then, it was not illegal to use ivory. It consisted of 14 pieces, and you would be able to rearrange uh, those 14 pieces in more than 500 ways to create the same square, the same exact square, which is pretty amazing. You could, of course, rearrange it to create all sorts of like birds and flowers and so on uh, as well. So that You know, you uh,
0: said, when you said bone and battle, all I could think of was battle bones. And I'm like already envisioning in my head sort of these two like just animated skeletons kind of going at it.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, but if you think about it, it's such a weird name. Why would it be a battle in the first place? But maybe it's it's because of the sheer amount of the different ways that you can redo that in. And eventually it will become like a battle in, in your head. Like how do I, wonder, I, how do I do this?
0: Oh, I like that. A battle in your head. I like that. But I wonder too, like the tangram, sometimes like you can make all these cool shapes and stuff. But if it has to fit in a square, sometimes it's kind of hard to figure out how to get it just to fit in that one small shape. So, you know, having those pieces battle it out with each other, like as you're trying to put them in. Either way, I love that name. That should be, someone should make a Kickstarter with a game that is literally called like, watch it, somebody has already done it. (laughs) Like Battle Bones or something.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Um, I did find some uh, kind of like websites that have uh, printed all the ways that this can be done. And I'm like, respect. Oh, <laughs> I respect a lot of
0: time. The other thing too, is like most tangram pieces, aren't they like seven or eight? And this you said was 14?
1: Yes, 14 pieces.
0: So like literally leveling all the way up.
1: Yeah, it's amazing. Uh, 14 pieces, it's it's quite uh, a lot. We tried it with students as well, but you know, you run out of patience at some point because yeah. you know, who will see it to all of those different ways? He did some, uh, some of his inventions had to do with defending Syracuse against Roman attack. And also, of course, his famous Archimedes principle.
0: Yeah, let's talk about his principle first, because one, it's a hilarious story. Um, (laughs) As is everything.
1: So the legend or the rumor or the myth uh, has it that uh, the king of uh, Syracuse, Hieron, wanted to know if the crown that he had commissioned was pure gold, as he had given to the goldsmith or if the goldsmith took a bit of the gold for himself and replaced it with a cheaper metal Uh, (laughs) but he didn't want to cause uh yeah as one would do but he didn't want uh, to do any harm to the crown so he asked Archimedes for help and that was not a uh, an easy problem. Alchemist stumbled across and um, a lot of problems and, and he was allegedly thinking about it for days. Um, so let me
0: think about this for a second. We're thinking here, you know, we've got this crown that is could potentially be pure gold, or it could be gold and some other things in it. And so the knowledge, I guess, that that Archimedes is having to sort of piece together, which is why it probably took him days, is the weight of gold, you know, the weight of potentially some unknown metal. So we're looking to try to find, I guess,
1: what, volume here of this weirdly shaped object? Exactly. Exactly. Fantastic. But at a time when perhaps density and all of those things were not as mm-hmm. straightforward, uh, now we are taught density by the time we're 12 or 13, and then we have a pretty good grasp uh, on what that means. So, yeah, and and he was famously taking uh, his bath, and as he immersed in the water, some uh, water overflow and and uh, then he realized that the volume of the body, of his body that was in the water was equal to the volume of the water that came out of the over the bathtub, and that excited him so much. And he clicked, and and he jumped out of the bath, and as he was <laughs> naked, he ran down the the streets shouting "Eureka! I found it!" In Greek, that's "Evriga." So the pronunciation. Uh, I think there are some brands now in in in. Um, in Greece, that uh, use that name, kind oh, of like that's awesome. completely uh, irrelevant. Uh, Which, uh,
0: and again, probably. I think this is such an important thing because, obviously, having been a math professor, having just been in education in general, when we're learning, learning is already hard, but we sit there and you know we we focus really really deeply on something. And then it's like, we're going to try and think and think and think. And sometimes you just hit that wall. But then when you decide, I'm going to take a break, I'm going to go for a walk. I'm going to take a nap. I'm going to take a bath like Archimedes did. It's like all of a sudden magic. I was reading a book, uh, Mind for Numbers is what it's called by Barb Oakley. And she talks about this idea of focused and diffuse thinking and focused thinking is exactly what, you know, like Archimedes is like, I'm going to think about this really hard. How can I figure out this problem? And then diffuse is like, cool, I'm just going to take a bath. And that's when it comes. It's like, it's still working background process. And then that's when, when it shows up. But A Mind for Numbers is amazing. Uh, just a, you know, a great book if, if anyone is looking to just read cool things about learning math and, and science.
1: Yeah, I like the idea of both uh, focused and diffused uh, thinking. I think uh, it happens to all of us, doesn't it? It's mm-hmm. kind of like suddenly would click at a unsuspected moment uh, on a different day. I recently got
0: into like earlier this year and not because just because of Stranger Things, but I recently got up into Dungeons and Dragons and uh, I've started to kind of create my own world for my players. And I'm about to start this campaign. And I was reading about Archimedes in preparation for our conversation. And I read about his, you know, the work, the Sand Reckoner. And I thought instantly, God, what a great name. And, and you know, this could be like a book that could be, you know, in my world and I'm thinking through all these things and it's just inspirations everywhere even when you're not looking for it. So the next thing I think on our journey through Archimedes and his inventions are all of the, what, what do we want to say, like the weapons, I guess, that he
1: made for this war that you were talking about? Yeah, I suppose uh, some sort of machinery that was used to uh, help defend the city. And um, I'm sure that possibly... They're not just war machines. They could be have they could have other uses. I mean, one of them was like a catapult. I would throw stones. I, I was suppose.
0: thinking, you know, and I can't remember if I was reading it in your book or I was reading it somewhere else. But when we get to his death, I think this becomes more apparent. Much like all mathematicians, right? Especially like I think the pure mathematicians they're focused more on like the pursuit of knowledge and the thinking things through and the discovering and then it's like other people that determine how best to use that information that becomes sort of more practical and and this is one of those cases where he might have been like hey look if you have this mirror and you point it from the sun fires over here or something like that And then you've got like some you know Roman general or you know, and I'm terrible. I don't know like what the structure of the army was at that time, but they're like, oh, you know what? We can use this to destroy ships. And so I think like uh, you know, it's a really interesting thing to sort of think about, like the point at which knowledge intersects. Sort of the folks that will come up with ideas. It's it's a cool thing, but it's also sort of dangerous because you don't know like once
1: it's out there in the world, it's
0: available for anyone
1: exactly i think that's that's an um uh, there's so many examples like that there's uh, these discoveries that uh, end up destroying something else mm-hmm. despite the best intentions of the original inventor or the person who stumbled across the idea definitely so yeah one of them was uh, kind of like using speculums or metal mirrors to as you said gather the rays of the sun and focus them on one point uh, obviously the ships were made of wood at the time so uh, that would cause them to catch on fire. And yeah, the other one was um, uh, catapults. So throw uh, rocks of different size to sink the ships. That was the aim. Well, eventually that what the aim became during the, the attack.
0: Man, that's so neat. I want to take a step back here for a second because I think I got us off track about the displacement of the, the water And I wanted to just make sure that we sort of close the loop on that. So when he was discovering his Evrika and running naked through the world, because he was so excited about discovering whether the crown was pure gold or not, what he did was he put, he figured out that he could put the crown in water and the amount of water that was displaced, right, would determine how what the volume was and so you know obviously if it's pure gold it's going to be a certain weight and if it's anything besides pure gold it would not be that do you know if the crown
1: was actually pure gold Well, it seems like it wasn't. And that's what the stories tend to say. But I think you're right. We did stop the story where he ran out naked. (laughs) So we just stopped it there. I I don't know why. (laughs) But uh, That's it,
0: listeners. That's all you need to know. (laughs) He ran naked
1: down the road. (laughs) It doesn't matter the math that came out. Forget the crown. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So, yeah, I think that stories tend to agree that it was not pure gold and that the goldsmith did uh, cheat so but we don't know exactly what happened to so
0: there's going to be you know behind the scenes the story of intrigue where you know someone the 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 blacksmith or the gold whoever it was that created the crown whatever his title is he all of a sudden disappeared and no one knows where he went
1: but maybe possibly people would tend to disappear more without a trace by then who knows
0: oh no joke and especially because you know much like Pythagoras, Hippasus, everybody else at that sort of time right all the most of the writings are lost to time or just they didn't have any at all so you know sources are conflicted as usual
1: (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. For Pythagoras, there wasn't, as you said, not very much writing at all. The first time we see his name mentioned is like 200 years after he was, he lived.
0: So I think that, you know, we talked about some of his inventions. Let's talk a little bit about some of the math. And I think like our our stories about sort of the circles, I think that would be one of the, the cool things that we can
1: talk about. Yeah, so he was trying to find the uh, circumference of the circle. And pi was not quite a quantity that was very well established at the time. And he thought that if you inscribe a polygon into the circle, and if you prescribe one, the circumference of the circle must lie between those two. So the inscribed one underestimates the circumference, the uh, circumscribed one overestimates the circumference. So average the two, you're getting closer and closer.
0: So essentially what you're saying is if you have a circle, um, the circumference is essentially just the line that is around the circle that you've essentially drawn the circle. When you're inscribing a polygon, what you're doing is you're putting, you know, just some figure inside the circle that's touching all of the, um, as many of the the edges as possible. And then when you're uh, circumscribing, you're doing the same thing, but on the outside of the circle. So essentially what you're saying is you can draw a bunch of them inside and a bunch of them outside and it'll touch more and more points on the circle. Yeah,
1: Uh, so the idea is once he's done that with a regular hexagon, Mm -hmm. then he goes to double the sides uh, for both the inscribed and the circumscribed ones. So twelve, then twenty four, then forty eight, <laughs> and then ninety six, and he did all of that by hand.
0: So it took like five seconds, super quick, right? <laughs>
1: yeah, we did no, no software to assist with that at all, and oh, huge amount of patience to to do that. So as you increase the amount of sides, they get the sides get smaller and smaller, so they fit on that circle better and better. So the average of the inscribed and circumscribed one would average to something really, really close to the actual uh, circumference of the circle. And his estimate of pi turned out to be between 3 and 10 over 71 and 3 and a seventh, which obviously they didn't have the current Hindu-Arabic decimal system right. that we have. But uh, today we would say that it coincided in... Um, it coincided up to the second decimal place, which is really impressive for the means. That's, that is amazing. And I think we
0: have now like there's some definition and it's been a hot minute since I've, I've looked it up. But there's some like some statement. I can't remember if it's like a lemma or a corollary or what it is, but it's like that a, a circle has infinitely many sides or something like that. And mm. so like this sort of goes to that because it's like however many sides your polygon has, if it's a, a hexagon or, or, you know, whichever, however many sides, as you increase the number of sides, you get closer and closer to the circle. And, and even that, right, the, the whole idea of like remount sum with the rectangles that become integrals in the area and all those sorts of things. And this was, again, how far before anyone even came up with this. So I, I cannot even tell you how deeply I've gotten into D and D, and I'm not even ashamed. It's like my new favorite thing. I'm sad that I've come up, like spent like I am only now spending time learning it because I've discovered that literally everything in my life is like inspired in some way, right? That I love is inspired by D and D. So as I was thinking through this, and I'm looking through my dice set actually, before I even like started thinking about Archimedes, in looking at the D4, which is a four-sided dice uh, die that looks like a pyramid sort of. And then if you think about a six-sided die, which is your cube, right? A regular die. And you think through, they have a D8, which is an eight-sided die, a D10, which is a 10-sided die, a D12, a D20. And I was looking at my dice sets And I was thinking to myself, as the number of like sides increase here, this thing is getting closer and closer to a circle like if you look specifically like you look at the d12 and the d20 you know especially if you don't have the sharp-sided dice it turns more and more into a sphere and then like when we started talking about this i was so excited about it because i was like oh my gosh all my D&D people out there like they're gonna get this and i'm going to be so excited <laughs> but if you haven't take a look just google D&D dice set and look at the different sides of the dice and you'll see that it
1: gets closer and closer to a a circle, a sphere. Yeah, that's that's a really cool analogy. I mean, I'm, 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 I should look into DD a bit more, I suppose, because I love board <laughs> games as well. So the idea is that the, the more sides um, you have, you get closer to a circle, the more faces you have, you get closer to a sphere. So, and as you said, these ideas were so ahead of their time, maybe they could have resolved other subsequent issues as well.
0: <laughs> right? I mean, it's fascinating. Like, The more I look and research these mathematicians, the more I see that like everything is connected. And I think like I feel lucky to have been able to do this while I was still teaching because it really helped me to draw more connections with the mathematics, you know, and and just real world stuff or even just the stories, just tying it together. I mean, it's amazing. I keep saying this, right? Like this is my favorite story. But no, this is my favorite piece of the story. The death. Of Archimedes, setting the stage for this, we've got like you said uh, here on the second, I think it was, and he's got his crown, and you know we have sort of this war that's coming with with the Romans trying to take over modern day Sicily. Uh, at the time, it was Syracuse, and so he is what was it the second Punic War, and so he's coming in, and uh, you know, and, and all of his inventions, the you know the people are using it against the Romans. And so we're at a time of war and Archimedes is like taking baths, running naked down the street, doing his math. And so setting the stage for that
1: all while a war is going on. So what happens? Archimedes was very famous by that time. So he was in his 70s, possibly, and people knew about him well outside of the uh, Greek world. They wanted to capture him unharmed because they wanted to use his inventions for themselves so the instructions they gave to the army to the soldiers were very specific. Capture Archimedes, bring him back unharmed. One of the soldiers, maybe his name was Captain Lucius with stories about this old there's some uh, dispute, there's some dispute, but this seems to be the most likely story uh, was sent for the for the seizure. And um, Archimedes was either on the beach drawing his kind of like geometric diagrams and uh, investigating his geometric statements, or at home working on a wax tablet. These two are, are not clear. And when the soldier asked uh, to follow him, Archimedes completely ignored him. He was so engrossed in his work. He was so kind of like deep in thought that he Classic completely
0: mathematician. Uh, ignored
1: him and was like, I-, I don't know what you want, just go away. And then the soldier possibly started interfering with his diagrams and maybe stepped on it or in the sand Oh, and my so gosh. On. And allegedly Archimedes turned around and said, do not disturb my circles. So the phrase in, in Greek would be Oh, I like that. I'm
0: going to try and say that later.
1: <laughs> so there's also some rumor that uh, the compass was a threatening weapon. I mean, we can cut some doubt in that, surely. Uh, but the <laughs> soldier lost his patience and just uh, cut, uh, killed Archimedes there on the, on the spot with his sword. I love
0: this. Um, so Archimedes is like in the middle of war. Archimedes is enjoying a day at the beach. He's like, just very academic. He's like, I'm gonna draw some circles in the sand. And he's got, like, whatever tool it is, you know, the compass shape thing that we've had, like, Euclid and and all of that that we talked about. And he's just like, I'm drawing my circles. I'm thinking about my circles. How dare you step on my circle? (laughs) Like, forget the menacing, threatening guy that's, like, in armor, like, got weapons.
1: You don't step on my circle, sir. (laughs) I think that's his legacy in a way that he was so fascinated by his work that he didn't see beyond that. Also, if you think about it, for a person of his fame and uh, Sasha, he should have enjoyed like a peaceful death in old age. He should not have been killed during war on the on beach. And, and, and these last words, I mean, how do we know mm-hmm. those were their last words? But it, it's quite a, a, a tribute to kind of like if your last words were like about circles, that really shows dedication, that really shows like, <laughs> I was there, I, I I did not care about my shells, I, I, that's what I wanted to do. Oh my gosh, I mean, what, just what a great story, I mean,
0: great, this storied life and amazing contributions that sadly found a little bit too late, how much further along could we be, right, what a great story. So I just, I really appreciate so much you spending time with us. And I, we're going to talk about, you know, some other mathematicians soon, and that's going to be fun as well. Obviously, crazy, wild stories. And, you know, I'll try not to bring in too much D&D. But uh, mm-hmm. so you want to tell us again, uh, we can find you on your website, which I've, I'm going to post the link, or we can find you on Instagram. Uh, and did you say there was another one that I may have missed?
1: Um, I have uh, like a similar handle for Twitter and things like that Um, but um, I'm happy yeah with the website and then Instagram that's fantastic again thank you so much it was so much fun to chat with you about our communities and I'll be delighted to talk about other mathematicians as well it's great to share these um, intriguing stories and how maths connects with us in so many ways. And we just need to have the patience and the great to to look at those connections and see, look, these were people, some of them were very particular. Some of them look at their stories and how their maths have been helping us all these years.
0: So so recently my husband and I watched, oh my gosh, what's that new Ryan Reynolds movie on uh, on Netflix
1: the Adam well, Project. sort of Reynald Reynolds' movies on <laughs> Netflix? <laughs> Should they, uh, it? <laughs>
0: uh, it's uh, The Adam Project. And one of the things that he does is he, you saw it?
1: Yeah, awesome.
0: Mark Ruffalo, he plays like a physicist. And he says that, you know, one of his lines in the movie is that you start to solve problems that your children's and children's children will solve. And I thought that was so like, that stuck with me from that movie. Of course it did. Because, you know, a few years ago, my husband and I were in Italy and we were um, in Florence at the, you know, and we obviously saw like the Duomo and all of the great things. And uh, we were lucky enough, there was a a lady that lives there that, um, you know, one of the folks that we were staying with knew and she took us around and she was talking about like all the history and stuff like that. And she was telling us that like, the people that like started to build these things they didn't they knew that they weren't going to finish it in their lifetime and so it's kind of like you think about something like Fermat, where he didn't send that problem for people to solve but like people solved it over decades or over centuries right and Mm -hmm. and same with like the duomo that thing where it had the big circle you know just the open space for how many centuries and so it's just it's amazing to think about you know these sort of long-ranging problems and it was perfectly reasonable and okay for that to sit for several, you know, you knew you were going to die without having it solved and that was okay. And you know, now like I think because we are so fortunate to have all the great technology by virtue of all the fighting, you know, to get to this point, now it's like we do have more of an instant gratification But like, I think it's definitely important to remember sort of where we've come from with the problems that you could sit and not solve until you sat in the bathtub and then discovered it. But the joy of discovery too, right?
1: Absolutely. And I think um, when I was reading about Fermat's Last Theorem, the margin in which he wrote that he has a proof, but there's not enough Mm -hmm. space was Diophantus' Arithmetica. It was a copy from a book that was even centuries and centuries old and and I'm like how interesting is that like the connection for that theorem to be proven it took literally several several centuries but also that tells us that um, when we come across problems that we are struggling with or our students we say well it's okay you can take some time and these things do not just Uh, give themselves away. (laughs) They require your uh, preservation. And And another
0: thing too, is like, especially with something like Fermat or something like the, you know, like any of the problems that we've talked about is even if you don't solve it, but you have one small thing that you might contribute, or you don't even know if it would contribute, it might spark inspiration for someone else even with our conversation too, like, I'm so grateful that you reached out and you were like, let's talk about these mathematicians because I was like, yeah, let's do that. And then I started reading about Archimedes and getting all excited all over again about math. And like, it's, it's super fun. It's super fun. So again, thank you so, so much. And I look forward to continuing the conversation.
1: Thank you so much, Natalie. It's been really great fun, and thank you for um, coming back and saying yes, let's do it. Because um, it's fantastic to talk to people who are, have the, <laughs> like the same uh, enthusiasm. Yeah. yeah, would love to to do uh, to chat about some other mathematicians as well. Absolutely.
0: Awesome. Thanks for joining me for today's episode of Infinitely Irrational. Can't get enough of the math and fun. Visit us on the web at infinitelyirrational.com for math and research behind the stories. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter, or email at podcast at infinitelyirrational.com. If you love this episode, subscribe, follow, and share. See you soon for the next one.